Thank you for tuning into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. You are currently listening to one of our iGrow series lessons. If you're in the Bloomington, Illinois area and want to sit in person, feel free to join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship in the Word. Can't make it in person? No big deal. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram and search Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Either way, we'd love to fellowship and worship with you. We hope to see you. So tonight we are going to be talking about overcoming trials. Um, now with this, I had a much different approach um, what I was going to do and then talk to pastor and just kind of pushed in a different direction. Um, most of you all know with uh, what we've gone through these last couple years, um, it's crazy to say it's been a couple years, but uh, what we've dealt with with Easton, um, and that that is uh, something I don't really like to talk about, I guess. I mean, I, I'm okay saying what God has done, and that's, that's great, but going into details uh, about the ins and outs of everything is difficult for me. Uh, it's just something I find hard. So, <clears throat> kind of felt led and pushed at the same time by Pastor to uh, share Easton's story, start with that, and let you know where I'm coming from. So, here's kind of the order of what tonight's going to look like. Uh, I'm going to go through them and tell you a little bit about Easton and uh, what we went through, what his story looked like up until this point, uh, and then I'm going to try my best to give you some sort of practical application of what I feel like Andre and I have learned in this process. What uh, tips, tricks, if you want to call it that, that we feel like we've learned through this process to help overcome trials. Because if you were in our class last week, we see in Scripture the Bible says that if you are a man, if a man is born of a woman, which is every one of us, if you're a human that's been born from a woman, you're going to face trouble. You're going to be troubled all the days of your life. Inevitably, at some point in your life, you are going to face a trial. What degree that looks like, what your dilemma or your problem looks like may be different than mine. It may be different than Kylie's or anyone else in this room, but you are going to face hard times. You're going to face trials, you're going to face troubles, and you have to be prepared. Because if you go into this unprepared, if you go into it... Uh, unready to face what's going to come before you, you can be broken really easily. Mm -hmm. If you're not prepared to stand on the foundation of the Word of God and who God is, that relationship that you have with Him, then everything that will be shaken, everything that can be shaken, it will be shaken. And so, if you're going through something right now, I hope this helps you. I hope it gives you uh, uh, foundation blocks to build on. And if everything is going great in your life, just understand that there's going to come a day that you're going to face trials. And hopefully this is something you can draw back on to help build you in those times. So, I'm going to start out with Easton's story. In uh, early 2019, or I guess late 2019, in December, we had uh, Amelia. She was born at the end of December. And then uh, three weeks after that, we uh, noticed that her breathing was getting really shallow. Um, noticed that you know, she was struggling, and I'm a, a new father. 
Now, I have a one-year-old, but we had no issues with Easton. He was the epitome of health, and everything was fine. And so this was the first thing I've ever had to face as a dad, trying to figure out what, what's going on with my kid. She uh, <clears throat> got worse and worse, deteriorated to the point where we had to take her into the emergency room at like 4 in the morning, one night, one morning. And they, uh, they told us that she had RSV. And we ended up staying in the hospital in Peoria for uh, six or seven days, just living in the hospital, uh, not able to leave, not wanting to leave because my little girl was there. And it, it was the hardest thing that I've ever had to face. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with because I'm looking at this, this newborn baby that I am charged with protecting, that I, I'm supposed to be taking care of, and she's got tubes going in and out of her mouth, and she's got, uh, she's got IVs in her arm, and all these things, and it, it was the hardest moment of my life. I'm sitting here looking at everything and thinking, how, how am I supposed to deal with this? How am I, we were scared for a few days that we were going to lose her. I mean, the doctors were uh, adamant that she needed treatment immediately or it was going to go downhill quickly. I mean, we were scared we were going to lose her daughter. And so I, uh, we got done with this trial or this stage, and I thought, man, that is, that is the craziest thing I've ever had to deal with. You know, you ever have moments and you look back and you thought, I didn't know I was that strong. I, I didn't realize I could deal with that. Th this was like the biggest moment in my life up until this point. Something that I had to, I had to struggle with. And to be honest, my faith was, was really strong. Because I thought, man, if I can make it through that, I can make it through anything. Not something that, looking back, I would have said. You know. So... Two weeks after all this happened, uh, Andrea had been concerned about Easton's eyes because he had a lazy eye. This whole time I thought he just inherited his grandpa's genes and he had a lazy eye and that was just what he was going to be stuck with. And when, I, when Dad's tired, he has a lazy eye. I'm tired, I have a lazy eye. Easton just is falling along the train. I was 100% confident, now this is my kid. And if there's any question, I mean, now this is my son. He's got the family traits. So, I was sure. So, uh, she was concerned about it. I kept pushing it off because I thought this is no big deal. And luckily, uh, Andrea was much more adamant than I was. And so she ended up taking him to a doctor in Peoria, to a, uh, a specialist, and my dad went with him. So, this was the very first day I had gone back to work. They had just changed our paternity leave policy at work, and uh, I had gone back to work that Wednesday. So I'm walking out of work, like my very first day, and I get a phone call from Andrea saying that they, uh, they were telling her that Easton had cancer. And I'm literally, I, I'm walking out of the doors of State Farm. And be really transparent with you all. Writing all this down today, I was bawling like a baby. So, y'all are just going to have to bear with me. So, I, uh, I had a flood of emotions. You know, it's not something you ever expect. Not something, I don't know if trials or struggles in your life you ever really expect. But, it seemingly came out of nowhere. I thought, we, we've just been through 
hardest moment in my life. Why now? Why more? And so I went through this flood of emotions. I'm not there. My, my dad is there. I'm an hour away, and I can't do anything. So they're getting in the car, and they're driving back home. Um, and they have all the details. They have all the plans of everything that's going to happen. And I'm just sitting idle with nothing to do. So I, uh, I went to the church. And <laughs> as I'm driving to the church, I called my mom. And they hadn't talked to her yet. So I told her what I had been told. And for at least 10 minutes, my mom sat there and said, she called me a lot of names because she thought I was kidding. And this was a cruel joke. So she told me how silly this was, how stupid of a joke this was, and it wasn't funny, and all those things. So I'm sitting here trying to hold my composure and tell my mom that this is really happening while she is uh, telling me how cruel this is. So I, uh, I stopped in an intersection because I was trying to figure out where I was going to go. I was going to go to my mom because she was crying, and I had to do something and comfort somebody. So I'm sitting in the intersection trying to figure out where I need to go, and uh, decided to turn around and I came to the church. And I went into the student center and turned on some music and I I didn't know if you can call what I did praying. It was more of me screaming at God. Um, went through, you heard the, the five stages of grief. I went through all of those at least four times a piece. You know, begging, pleading, uh, accepting, angry, I went through just about everything. I bartered with God. I, I tried everything that I could over and over and over again. I Unfortunately, I put more holes in the walls up there. So I was just upset. <clears throat> there was already holes. They needed to be fixed. So I just did them close to those. <laughs> so went through all of this. And there was a song that came on. And I can't. I've been trying to remember what it was. But there's a song that came on, and I just stopped talking. I, I had nothing else to say. I had nothing. I didn't, didn't know what to do. And I just stopped. And it was as clear of a voice as I've ever heard in my life. I mean, what, I'm not saying that God audibly spoke to me, but it was, it was the clearest thing that I've ever felt, where I knew what God was saying to me. And it was just really simple. It was just, I've got this. Everything, everything is under control. I've got this. I don't know if God talks like that, but he did to me. And so I, I left that place before Easton had ever got back, before Andre had ever got back. I left and met with them with this overwhelming peace. I mean, the Bible talks about peace that passes all understanding. This was the epitome of that. It, it did not make sense how I felt because this was the scariest moment of my life. But I, I had no doubts in my mind that God was going to perform a miracle, that God was going to show himself, that he was going to show, show up and show out, and that he was going to use my son for his glory. Didn't know how that looked. Didn't know what that meant or what all we were going to have to go through because we had no details to this point, but I was sure that God had everything under control. So fast forward a little bit, and uh, that first appointment, we found that out on January 30th, 
on February 4th, so four days later, we had to go up to Chicago and we had to meet uh, a retinal specialist because this was just an eye doctor and they said we can't properly diagnose, we can't be the one to say because we're not a specialist, so we can't say for certain that they he has this. Um, so we went to Chicago and they were going to confirm or deny this diagnosis. And it was, uh, again, it, it was weird because I had this, I had this piece, um, but it seemed like I was the only one that did. You know, Andrea was, uh, she was an emotional mother trying to figure out what she was going to do. My family was heartbroken. They were trying to figure out what to do. I mean, this was, this was the, the hardest thing our family's ever been through. So <clears throat> we go there, and uh, Uncle Greg and Aunt Nett came with their kids, and uh, our friends Titus and Lauren showed up with their daughter, and her and Easton are the same age, so they sat in there and played the whole time while we're sitting in this waiting room. And I, I remember stepping out, I'm pacing back and forth, knowing in my mind what's going to happen. I mean, I, I remember sitting out in the hallway and Titus coming up and talking to me and said, what, what are you feeling? What's going on? And I said, look, I, I know that we're going to go in here and I know this doctor is going to come back and say something to the effect of this is the worst case I've ever seen. He's got it in both eyes. Everything is, is horrible. He's going to lose both eyes. So I'm, I'm positive that's what this is going to come back as. And it's just going to be another uh, feather in God's cap. Say, look how bad it was, but look what God can do. So I was, I was confident we were going to get a bad diagnosis. And uh, we went in there, and that's exactly what we got. He said that he had this cancer in both eyes. He had several tumors. Um, they said one of his eyes was virtually inoperable because of where the tumors were placed. And so he said, we're not even sure if we can keep that eye, if it's even going to make it. Um, the other one, there's some hope, but he's going to have to go through some extensive chemo, and there are major risks involved. He's probably going to lose a lot of his hearing. Um, he's going to have very poor eyesight, and this doctor was giving us no hope whatsoever. Now, knowing, having a sense of what I was going to walk into, you know, I feel like I could deal with it a little bit better, but this doctor was probably the meanest person I've ever met in my life. I mean, we... Uh, he, he was telling all of this, he was saying all this with a smile on his face. What? And I have never wanted to punch someone so much in my life. I mean, it, it would be one thing if it was being said to me, but I've got my wife here, and she's bawling her eyes out, and this guy is just like smiling, acting like, I'm going to get a lot of business out of this. Like, that's the way I took it. And then as she's crying and I'm trying to comfort her, he looks over to his assistant and said, you know, if we have things like this, you should schedule more time so I can deal with this stuff. And it was, I was not very happy. I was not very happy. So, we're dealing with all this stuff. Very uncomfortable with what this was going to look like. I, I despised this doctor. I didn't want him to have anything to do with my son. Um, I wasn't confident in, in him and his practice and, and anything, his bedside manner for sure. Um, and so we... We had no idea what we were going to do. So we come back. We come back home. Um, this is on February 4th. 
I'm only at the beginning, oh my. Um, this is at February 4th. We come back and there's a service, a prayer service here that Brother Cox is preaching. We get back about halfway through the service, music is done. Um, and he starts preaching about giving. I don't want to hear about giving right now. That's, that's the last thing on my mind. So that day in the hospital, between MRIs, um, EKGs, putting them under anesthesia, all, all of this stuff, and that doctor visit, it cost $8,000 for that day alone in Chicago. That was one day. They were telling us this was going to be a two, three-year process where we were going to have to be going week after week after week. I don't know if you guys know this, but I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> I had no idea how this was going to work out. I didn't know where these funds were going to come from. I didn't. I can't explain to you that the cloud that was over my mind. I just had no idea where I was going. It felt like I was walking and just foggy nothingness, and the next step I took, I was going to come crashing down. We came to the service, and I, I felt God pulling me to give, which, you know, he always seems to, you know, you get to those moments, those services, those giving services, and it feels like, okay, well, I don't have it, but I have to give anyway, because God, God's pushing me to do that. So we gave uh, an uncomfortable amount, especially in this season, because I felt like that's what, that's what God was pushing us to do. And, um, within three days of giving that, we were blessed with triple what I gave. And from friends, family, people in our church, we, it, it's amazing how God works where you don't know and you step out in faith and you, know, you feel like you are going to crash through and God puts another, another step in front of you or another block that you can step on. He just proves himself. So, it's kind of a side note. If you're faithful to God, God's going to be faithful to you. Amen. It's one of the biggest takeaways that I can give you through a trial. If you are faithful to God, He's going to have your back. God is going to be there. God's going to lift you up. God's going to make a way because His ways are better than ours. When we don't know how things are going to work out, God's already orchestrated all of this. And that's hard for us to understand because we want to plan out life. We want to plan out the details and how everything looks and how it's going to go. But God's plan is better than mine. And if I tried to enact my own plan, I, I don't know how it would have worked out. I know it wouldn't have been better. You have to rely on God in these moments. So, cool God moment. We go through that. We have that service. The next day, um, we got a call from our, uh, our kid's pediatrician. So there's someone that I, I, couldn't, I didn't want to go to at the beginning because she had a really thick Russian accent and I couldn't understand a word that she said. So when we first met her, I said, Andre, we can't go. We can't go to her. Like, I, I'm not going to know what she's saying. And if I have to go in by myself, like, we could have you pay millions of dollars because I'm not understanding what she's saying. So I'm going to buy stuff that we don't need. And so she, uh, she was an angel in disguise. She called um, because the pedi pediatrics office that we were in is affiliated with uh, St. Joseph. She was getting reports and she was getting files of what was going on with Easton. <coughs> and um, she felt 
felt bad because normally this is something that's caught much earlier, this particular type of cancer. You know, they do retinal scans, and, and when you go in the doctor and they shine a light in your eye, generally that's how they find this type of cancer. You know, if there's uh, a red reflex out of your eye, then it's an indication here we need to look into this further. East had never had any of that. We went back and looked at pictures from the time he was born up until now, and normally you, you see this months after he's born. It, it was almost as if God just planted it in a second. That sounds really weird that God plants tumors, but that, that's how it seemed. Like this came out of nowhere. It's just gone one day, the next day it was there. So she was upset because she hadn't caught it, um, and so she was trying to help us as best we can. It turns out that she had an internship with uh, one of the high-up retinal doctors at St. Jude, or the affiliate in Peoria. And so she called and said, hey, I just want to give you another option. I've already called this doctor. I've set everything up for you. You have an appointment tomorrow. You can take it or leave it. It's all completely on you. And so we had just gone through this experience with this doctor that I hated, disliked, I hated, disliked. And so I said, yeah, we're going to go try this out and see how this looks. And so we went in, talked to them. They did another scan of his eyes, looked at everything, and said, he qualifies for St. Jude. You can step into this, and there's a waiting list for this. I mean, the, the doctor that, we, um, that we're seeing down there is the number one specialist in the world for this particular type of cancer. I mean, she is, she is renowned. This is one in, a million, one in a million cancer, and she is the best of the best. She is writing currently the protocol that's going to be used for this type of cancer, the, the treatment that's going to be used. So um, so we can set you up with this doctor. She's writing this protocol. She, she's the best of the best. You're not going to find it anywhere else, but you have to go this week. And so we had a day to decide what we were going to do. I either went to a doctor that was really close, that was in Chicago, that I didn't like, that was going to cost us a lot of money, or we picked up everything, moved to a completely different state, away from everyone that we know, love, uh, everything that's comfortable, and go, but it's free. So um, putting everything together, thinking about everything, and how it was going to work out, and the quality of treatment, um, we, we had several phone calls with those doctors down in Memphis and just felt like this was the way we needed to go. And so within days, uh, on February 10th, so four days after, we were down in Memphis for the first time. Um, we went through a week of constant checkups, MRIs, um, kept putting him under anesthesia to, to see what things look like. We did genetic testing, um, and then at the end of all this, they gave us a treatment plan and said, this is what, this is what your plan is going to look like, or this is what we're going to do. It consisted of this. There was um, there was one. Uh, so there was eleven rounds that he was going to have to go through, and there was going to be different types of chemo according to the round. So try to tell this. This is hard for me to remember, so I don't expect any of you to remember. But rounds one, two, five, eight, and eleven. So half the rounds were going to be uh, chemo that he got injected through an IV, and also they were going to inject a, a very hard, um, what's the right word, aggressive 
chemo into his eyelid. And then uh, rounds three, four, six, seven, uh, nine, and ten, it was just going to be the one in the IV. So both of them were hard, both of them were aggressive, but on the outside, the only ones we were really going to notice were the, the injections. So we're sitting there, and the doctor's telling us all this, and um, each round was going to be three weeks. So they're telling us, hey, you're going to be down here for at least the next year just with treatments. And um, we, uh, we had just moved everything there. We were staying in the Ronald McDonald house down there. And uh, I I'm sitting here questioning every prayer that I've ever prayed. Have you ever prayed something? And I, I don't know if this relates to any of you. Have you ever prayed something and you really had no idea what you were praying? Mm -hmm. Like something came to pass that you prayed, like, it's not really what I meant. It's not how I meant it. You know, I, I thought back to every prayer that had ever come out of my mouth. God, I want to see miracles. God, I want to see signs and wonders. I want you to use me, use my family. I want, you, I, I want everyone to see you through us. All those things, those generic prayers that you pray, I thought, this isn't what I meant. I meant I want to see miracles in other people. I want to see you move through someone else. I, I don't want you to affect me. I don't want you to affect my family give me something easier, whatever. This, these are all the thoughts that are going through my head. And they did this first round of chemo. And uh, Easton came back from surgery. And the day he came back, it looked like someone had cut his eye open, widened it, stuck a, a softball in both of his eyes, and sewed it back shut. And this, this uh, one-year-old little baby it didn't even look like my kid anymore. You know, I, honestly, I, I asked Andre when he came in, says that Easton? It didn't even look like him. His face was so deformed. And for the next four days, that first time, his eyes were swollen shut. He couldn't see anything. And so we were constantly holding him and trying to soothe him because you've got this kid that has no idea what's going on. And all of a sudden, he just can't see. And he's got all this pain. And all he's wanting to do is throw up. He can't eat because this chemo is taking away his appetite. But he took it like a champ. And we, uh, we just sat there and watched. Helpless, can't do anything. So the next round comes. And this time, it takes a little bit longer. So the longer we go with these rounds, the harder it is on his body to recover. So the reason they have three weeks in between rounds is when he takes chemo, all of his numbers drop. Everything bottoms out. And uh, it takes a while for that to build back up. They, they need his immune system to be healthy enough to where they can give him another round. Um, so it, it's really cruel. You, you tear someone down, you wait till they're strong enough, and you tear them down again over and over, and I watched, watched, uh, watched him do this time after time. And uh, that's, a, that's a hard thing to watch as a parent. So a lot of you don't understand it. But it's your job to protect your kids. And you feel this sense of mama bear, papa bear, whatever, that I'm going to make sure nothing can hurt my kids. It's really difficult to do when everything's out of your control. And so we watched 
and get hurt time after time after time. <coughs> and um, and we sat there. I, I remember we were confined in this hospital. So for the first two weeks, for the first, I'm sorry, the first six weeks, um, we were pretty well stuck in the hospital because as that chemo would hit him, he would develop fevers. Again, he had no immune system, so he can't fight these fevers. So they're having to constantly pump him with antibiotics uh, to make sure that he has something to fight. So we couldn't go back to the hotel because he, he needed constantly to have IV. So we pretty well stayed in the, the hospital for four to six weeks. And <clears throat> I remember just sitting there, there's nothing to do. We're just sitting there. Uh, I, I wasn't working at the time. Andrea wasn't working. And so we're just holding Easton. We couldn't have any there because this was uh, when COVID and everything was, was starting up. Um, and if she was there, we wouldn't have been able to really take care of her anyway because Easton was a full-time job. So she was staying back with mom and dad. And uh, we just sat around. And, and being idle while you're going through one of the hardest times in your life is beyond difficult because you play, you play scenarios in your head. You question everything. I, I had nothing to do but question and so the only way that I could take my mind off of all of this is luckily they had Xboxes there. And this lady brought me in Big Buck Hunter on Xbox. And I beat that game so many times. Just because I needed something, some kind of release to take my mind off this. Because, you know, you're spending hours praying, you're spending hours watching. At some point, you just gotta release. Let your mind take off these thoughts. So, <clears throat> that's what I did. And Andrea now laughs about it. She wasn't very happy about it then. Because she, she felt like I was disconnecting, and I was. She was disconnecting in different ways, and so we had to kind of figure this out, that we both needed an outlet. So, we would take turns going on walks and doing different things to get, uh, to get this outlet that we needed. <clears throat> I remember going into the bathroom, just going to the bathroom several times and just sitting there crying, huddled up in a corner. I mean, I, I pride myself in being tough. You know, I was, that's, I think every man does. You pride yourself on being strong. I didn't feel strong. And so, so many people were reaching out and we had just a an amazing following of people that were lifting us up in prayer, not only from this church, not only from our family, but across the world. I mean, we were getting calls, texts, emails from people that we had never met before that were lifting up Easton. His story was reaching people far beyond what we ever would have thought the impact would have been. So it's really hard to sit there and question God when you say, okay, this is this is making a difference. This is, this is proving something. God is raising up people and showing, showing his story, and he's about to do something great. So we're sitting here, we're waiting, we're hearing all these reports. And I can't tell you how valuable having people, uh, people in your life that build you. It's another important thing that we found that 
I don't know how you get through a trial without godly people, without church, without family. I mean, when Titus and Warren came up with us to that appointment, they didn't have to do that. They, uh, that, but that's something that I will look back on for the rest of my life, for people that were there for me, had my back. Because I didn't even know what I needed. But I just needed people there. And it's really hard to ask when you're, uh, when you're in those moments. We're uh, sitting in... Um, sitting in the Ronald McDonald house and we start getting email or uh, I'm sorry letters from our students and encouraging us every week we get more letters it's important <clears throat> when you're going through trials to surround yourself with godly people it's important in general to surround yourself with godly people and the bible says that iron sharpens iron if you are around people that constantly dole you, that take, then you're going to have nothing to fight with when your struggle comes. You need people that will build you. And we have that here in this church. You know, people may question and look around. At, there, there is no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as perfect people. And there are always going to be issues and problems. But I saw the hands and feet of God through one of the hardest moments of my life because I had a church that was there. I had people that took time out, even just for a text, for a call, let alone finances. I mean, we had money rolling, I'm not exaggerating, rolling in, where at this time I wasn't working. I couldn't work. And so I wasn't getting a paycheck. Um, Andrea's job was amazing for her. They, uh, they just kept giving her administrative leave and paying her to be off. Um, but I wasn't getting a paycheck. And there is not one month, not one week, that we ever hurt or saw that effect. Because there are people that, people we did not know that blessed us, that poured out um, from our church, from across the globe, if you are faithful to God, He will be faithful to you. And a lot of times that comes through His people. And so I appreciate our church's faithfulness. I appreciate our friends' faithfulness. Because I don't know how we would have made it without all of you, without our church, and everything that you guys did. So, we're going through these injections, going through these, uh, these cancer treatments. And each time they're doing cryo and laser therapy. So that means they're burning or they're freezing these tumors, trying to clean everything up. He <clears throat> um, came back for two days, fought to come back, and got Amy dedicated, which looking back seems like such a... We should have waited because we almost just did it because, hey, we have to do this. We don't know how long we're going to be there. And that is something extremely important to me. I mean, I'm looking back at what we're going through with Easton and remembering and reminding Andrea, remember what we did when we dedicated him. We said that he was going to be used for God's glory, whatever that looks like. And so if God chooses to take him, that's not what I want, but he's God's now. We're having these conversations all the while saying, hey, we need to go get Emmy dedicated. So I don't know if I want to give her back to God. 
don't know what that's going to look like. What's he going to do next? So we're having these conversations. We end up getting her dedicated. Uh, and then on the 17th, we were back down to St. Jude. So we, uh, we lived there in the hotel. <clears throat> and the, the cool thing about God is that throughout this whole process, we had seen miracle after miracle. Not the, the big one we were looking for, but little steps. They told us in the beginning that this is going to be a roller coaster. You're going to see really high moments where a lot of tumors fall away and are broken up. And then you're going to see moments where things start regrowing. And we're going to have to we're going to have to shift and do things differently. To this point, we have never seen a, a downslope. It's been nothing but little miracles. They, they've never come back and said, "Well, things are different than what we thought," or things shifted, or whatever the case is. We, we've constantly seen growth. So, God is God has been faithful. God has been uh, been with us through all of this. <coughs> Uh, we weren't able to get our family down there because of everything going on with COVID. And so finally we told them we, we don't want to live here on campus anymore because it was it's exhausting being by yourself. I was driving myself crazy being all alone. And so we ended up going and uh, running out of Airbnb and brought Emmy down to stay with us so we could be there together as a family. Kylie would come down and stay with us. And, Brayden came to visit. My parents came and stayed for quite a while. I remember them, um, Dad, preaching online from Memphis, just because he wanted to. He wanted to be there. Again, there's nothing he could do. But as a parent, you just want to be there for whatever, whatever you can do. So that support meant the world. Um, so at the end of all his treatments. We, uh, we started to be able to come home towards the end. Uh, we had treatment, we drive back home, and things progressively got better and better. And to this point, uh, uh, in 2021, we haven't had to do anything. We go down for checkups, and they haven't had to do any kind of therapy. They haven't had to do any kind of, um, any kind of chemo. And they're seeing steady um, growth, but steady improvement. His eyes are staying the same. That's what's right. So we're still going through this. They, they told us that his one eye is good, but remember we talked in the beginning, he's got an eye that they're concerned about. They said it's just along for the ride. It's still along for the ride. He's got a tumor that's sitting right on his optic nerve. So that nerve goes back into your brain and helps you see an image. That tumor is so close to that nerve that they can't touch it. And so if they try to do any kind of therapy, if they try to do any injections or anything to, to get at that, it's going to um, sever that nerve ending and his eye is useless. So what they've said all along is this is along for the ride. So that we could get to the end of this, and if that starts to shift back towards his brain, then we'll have to cut his eye out. But on the other side, if it starts to shift away, they can get at it. So we are at the point where we've seen so many little miracles. I can't tell you the people that I've got a chance to pray with that I've never met before. 
the doctors that I've got a chance to, to pray with. Every time that he goes back for surgery, I get the chance to go back and carry him and be there as he goes down. And every time, I tell the doctors, hey, I'm going to pray over him. And everyone in the room just sits silent. And for the next four or five minutes, they have to sit there and listen to me pray. And I've had doctors come out afterwards and ask me questions. And ask me about who God is and what, what, what our religion is. and what they, They've seen this entire process and they've seen what they perceive as strength. And it has nothing to do with us. Because I will tell you, I am the weakest that I have ever been. But God has shown himself strong. God's proven himself. And so if this is the best it gets, if when we get to the end of this and God chooses to, to take that eye, or whatever this looks like, God has already shown himself. God's already proven himself. He doesn't have to do anything more. God has been faithful. I can't, I, I've still got the same peace that I had in the beginning. He's in control. He's already shown God's, God's shown Easton's story and he's shown himself. And that's all I really ever pray. That's all I ever ask for. So, here are some of the practical steps. I'll try to run through these. And then, I know you all have gone through things of your own. I want to know if there's steps that maybe I'm forgetting or that, that you've found. <clears throat> but here's, uh, here's some things Andre and I talked that feel like helped us. Tips, tricks, whatever you want to call it. The first one is this. You have to be able to take God as work. Because in this moment in my life, I didn't hear God. After that first day, I can't tell you that there was another moment that I felt God speak to me or impress on me. I felt farther away from God than I've ever been. I felt like I'm walking through the storm. He is just gone. So the only way that I could reach Him or feel like I was connecting with God was to read His Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. If He's not going to speak to me physically... I'm going to read what he's already wrote. I'm going to read his word. So Andrea kept a list of God's promises. She has a whole note file where she would constantly, through pastors and pastors' wives who would reach out to her and would share scriptures and what she was reading on her own, she would keep this file of God's promises. I want to share something with you. Psalms 91 and 4 says, He will cover you with his feathers. He'll shelter you with his wings. His Faithful promises are your armor and your protection. God's going to be your shelter. Matthew 18, 19 says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything, it will be done by my Father in heaven. We saw way more than two or three people that were connecting with us in prayer. And if two or three can say something, can agree on something, and God's going to do it, what can thousands? Amen. Isaiah 43 and 2 says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. It doesn't say that you're not going to go through trials. It says that when you do, God is going to be there. I know that I'm going to struggle. I know that I'm going to fight things. But even when I don't see him, God is right here with me. And he promises that he's going to protect. He's going to walk 
that I'm not going to be burned up by the flames that I feel. I'm not going to drown in the, the rivers that I'm walking through. God's promises are true. If we believe that God is who he says he is, then I've got to take him at his word. And when I'm going through a trial, when I'm going through a struggle, that is all the more reason to look back on what he said. God's going to be there with me. Deuteronomy 31 and 8. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He'll be with you. He won't fail you. He won't abandon you. God will be there with you. Our God doesn't leave you at the threshold of your problem. But He goes before you. He orders your steps even before you get there. You feel like you're walking alone, but God has already ordained every step you're going to take. Mark 11 <clears throat> says, For verily I say unto you that whatsoever you shall, uh, whatsoever, sorry, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that <clears throat> those things which he saith shall come to pass. He saith, I can't read that, sorry. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say to you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you're going to receive them, and you shall have them. You need to have faith that if you speak to a mountain, it's going to move. Yes. I'm still speaking to my mountain. I don't know when it's going to move. I don't know how it's going to move or what that's going to look like, but I believe God's going to move the mountain. Amen. I know God is bigger than cancer. Yes. I know God is bigger than, than whatever your trial is, whatever you're dealing with. I... You know, I said I was thinking back on everything I've ever prayed. All those times that I got up in front of everyone and I'm taking prayer requests and all this kind of stuff, and I said someone would come up with a need and say, you know what, God's bigger than cancer. I was putting that to the test. It was more than just words. Now, I, I had to really decide if I believed what I had been telling other people. I, I believe with all my heart God's bigger than my trial. And even if he decides not to do it, so I know he's able, but if he chooses not to, that doesn't mean he can't. That doesn't mean he's not worthy. It means he's got a bigger plan. Romans 16 and 20 says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. There are times when you are dealing with things that no one else can really understand, that God is the only source of peace that you're going to get. Other people will tell you why what you're dealing with should be killing you and why it should be tearing you apart and all the things that you are facing. But I've got peace that passes all understanding. Yes. I've got a God of peace. He encompasses, He embodies peace. And if we have the Holy Ghost inside of us, we have to embody peace. We've got to show the God that we serve. <clears throat> Exodus 14, 14. Because the Lord will fight for you while you only need to keep silent and remain calm. God does not even ask you to fight. He doesn't even ask you to, to get your sword out and go and be strong. He just says, stand, be still, and let me go do the fighting. We try to make this, in my opinion, I try to make this so much more complicated than it is. God, how do I fight this? Do I need to, to get down and have this big spiritual battle? Because I'm not strong enough right now to deal with that. I, I, I can't. I will lose. But God is. God will fight the battle. I've just got to be willing to stand in faith on His promises. Stand on the Word of God. 
Stand on what you know. Yes. Second thing, second tip, trick, is to lean on your past victories. Lean on promises. Lean on what you've seen. How many of you guys have ever had something where you just know God did it? Yes. Whether it's through you or in your life or you've seen it in other people. I just, I know for a fact that was God. You can't change my mind. I've got those moments. I've got those things that I can look back on and say, God did it before. And if he did it before, he is faithful to do it again. I don't have to question. I don't have to wonder because I serve the same God yesterday as I do today. He doesn't change. He doesn't waver. God is able to help me through this trial just like he helped them or just like he helped me before. I already said you need to <clears throat> surround yourself with people that will lift you up. You need to take a look at your friendships. You need to question, are these people that are going to build me? I'm not saying that you need to get rid of everyone who doesn't. That circle, those people you confide in, those people that you are the closest to, they should build you. They should encourage you. I have people that I look to for encouragement. I have people that I can look at <clears throat> kind of going hand in hand with looking at past victories. The humbles through all this are people that I look back on and said, you know what? God has been so faithful. They're, they're some of the strongest people I've ever met because of their spirit, because of how loving and kind. They, they encouraged me through everything without even knowing it. Because there are people that I can look back on. They build me up even when they didn't say anything. You'd have people that will build you. People that have impact on your life. Even without necessarily knowing it. It's not that you come and tell me the perfect word at the perfect time. You just build me up with your life. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Your friends should sharpen you. And you need to take inventory of yourself as well. I need to take inventory. Am I sharpening my friends? Am I sharpening the people around me? Or am I making them dull? <clears throat> Another thing that I thought or helped us or we had to work on was to remove comparisons. It was something that we dealt with a lot. Because this is a weird stage in a in a uh, child's life, you know they're learning so much and developing so much. So we're looking at all of our friends who were in the same stage of life, had kids the same age, and looking at all the words that they were saying, how they were walking, and all this kind of stuff. And we've got a kid that can't even see. So it's really easy to look on Facebook and compare to what everyone else is doing. Well, they're doing it. Why, why aren't we in the stage they are? Why aren't we seeing what they're seeing? We're stuck down here. and Our whole life has been shaken up. Why, why can't we be like them? And you start to question God. You start to become bitter. There's a lot of moments of bitterness that I can look back on. That I had to check myself. That Andre had to check me. I had to check her. We had to keep each other accountable. Because it's easy when you're going through something difficult to compare to everyone else. To look around you and question well, you know what, I've been faithful, so why am I dealing with this and they're not? 
Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. Comparison doesn't do you any good. Maybe it is that you are going through a trial because God has already equipped you to go through it. God's made you strong enough to go through it. He didn't make them strong. And the trials that they face, you're not strong enough to deal with. I can't tell you the number of people that have come up to us and said, you know what, I couldn't deal with that the way you did. And I know the trials they face. I couldn't deal with what you did. There's no way that I could struggle the way you did. I, I saw how you lived your life. God equips you, and you will go through trials. You've just got to lean on him and understand God's got a purpose behind it all. Best thing that I have, and I'll, I'll end with this, trials have the capability to either burn you or to harden you. Put something in fire, it will either burn it up or it will harden it, strengthen it. And my opinion is that the outcome of what you see, what the end result of your trial, whether you are hardened and strengthened or whether you're burned up, is all based on your reaction. How you handle, how you choose to handle your trial will determine what the outcome is. If you choose to fold, if you choose to try to take it on all by yourself, we're going to get burned up because I'm not strong enough to deal with this. God puts us through trials that we are incapable of handling by ourselves just to prove how strong He is. I don't feel like God showed how strong I was through any of this. I feel like He showed how weak I was and showed how strong He can be if I rely on Him. Your outcome is predicated, dictated, off of your response. How do you handle it? So whether you're going through a trial right now, whether you're struggling now, or you're looking ahead at what's going to come, inevitably you're going to deal with something. Understand that your response matters. You take a look at Job. He had every opportunity to turn down God, to blaspheme, to yell and scream, push God out of his life. He had all the people around him, those friends, those people close to him, that were telling him, hey, you just need to deny God. Look at everything he's putting you through. But he stood faithful. And in the end of his story, he doubled everything that he had. He was blessed. His outcome was changed because of his response. If we understand that, I think it changes everything that we do in our trials. Big and small. My response matters. So if I try to respond in a godly manner, then God will respond in faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Amen. I don't want to keep you all any longer, but quickly, is there anything? Um, I know you all dealt with things on your own. Is there anything that has helped you? Anything that you would say, hey, this is, this is something that I can look back on that helped me through my trial, my hard time? Okay. I know I didn't cover them all. No, I, I would just say that what helped us the most um, when we lost our 
kiddo um, was knowing that we were chosen for that, that we could endure that, that someone else couldn't. So God knew that and used us to bear that trial. There are situations like that all around. So, and I, I, I can sit here and say, I could not have done what you did. <laughs> the but, same way. But we, we struggle, but I've got my boy here. Whether he can see or not, we, we've been blessed. And it doesn't seem like blessing to other people, but God's used us. Yeah. But it just, it became, for, for us, I was able to then to tell other moms that, you know, or talk to other women that, you know, lost their, lost yeah. their, um, their unborn kiddo was, was, it was like, hey, this is, this is part of our testimony. God chose you to put, I don't want to say this feather in your cap, but to use you as, to, then to teach others and encourage and yeah. to witness. And so it was, and almost, I almost felt, I don't know, I'm blessed is a weird way to put it but you get to that point that doesn't really make sense a lot of times blessing doesn't really look like blessing no <laughs> but it will you will look back mm -hmm. and you will see it as a blessing absolutely with that let's pray and ask god to help in whatever way he can help us take this and walk throughout life with it. Lord, we worship you, Jesus. God, we thank you, Lord, for this night. God, I thank you, Lord, for your hand and your guidance that's on each and every one of our lives. God, I pray, Lord, that in whatever way you see fit, Lord, you would take these words, God, and you would use it for your glory. God, that you would take these trials, these struggles, God, that each and every one of us have faced, Lord, and you can turn it around for your good. God, I know, Lord, that you have reason. God, that you've got everything in control. And I pray, Lord, that you would use it. God, that you would help us to impact the world around us. God, that as we we try to deal with our struggles and our trials in a godly manner, Lord, uh, that you would honor your word and honor your promise. You would be faithful, God. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done. God, for the miracles, the signs, the wonders that we've already seen. God, we're believing you, Lord. You're going to follow us all the days of our life. God, that you're going to continue to bless. God, that you're going to continue to guide and strengthen each and every one of us, Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that you would use each and every one of us in this room. God, to further your gospel, to further your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. In the mighty name of Jesus.